You're listening to Faith by Hearing with Dave Delaney, Christian conversations about faith, family, and friends. I think you could put about 20 grown men on our boat before it sank. Well, welcome to Faith by Hearing podcast, an authentic <laughs> conversation about faith, family, and friends. And uh, you're, you're jumping in on a conversation. We're talking about sinking boats. And so I'm going to let Derek and uh, Evan have the, have the floor here while they consider how many people it takes to sink their wonderful, wonderful vessel. What was Gilligan's, uh, what was, what was Gilligan's boat? What was his name? Uh, not the, I don't know. I'm a sing little young. Song. I'm a little young for that. Sing the song. It didn't have a name. Did it not have no, a name? I don't think it had a name. Okay, that's a question. That's a question for our listeners. Yep. Only a super fan would know that. Only a super fan. Maybe maybe they teased it in like the intro, the background or something. What was the boat on Gilligan's Island? I mean, we're name? rated safely for like 1,200 pounds of weight, right? Do you have life jackets on your boat? Oh, yeah. You have to. Coast Guard requirement. Six? No, because our boat's only rated for four, actually. Four persons, because they include in that weight the weight of fuel and equipment. You guys better have life jackets on your boat. You guys are going all the way out to Catalina Island. Our boat is heavily criticized. But, but it, is, it has never sank. It's never sank. It's never broken down with the new motor. Caveat there with the new motor. The old motor, I think it only broke down. And it almost sank. And you, yeah. you guys are you guys are planning to expand your uh, fishing expeditions this we uh, are. this season. We want to push out farther than we've ever been. Wild tuna. Catch bigger fish than we've ever caught. What are you going for, Derek? I'm going for tuna. You're going to spear one for sure. I want a 150 plus. I'm trying to stay in chill. weight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want a 150 plus. Which, if you watch Wicked Tuna at home, you're like, oh, that's not that big of a tuna. But you're thinking Northeast Atlantic tuna. Which those bluefin get significantly bigger than our Southern California bluefin do. So, a one fifty plus is a hefty tuna here. Most like big tuna would be around two hundred. So I'll be happy with a one fifty plus. How many cans of tuna does a hundred and fifty pound tuna make? The way I see it, you get about one poke bowl per half pound to make a hefty bowl. Yeah. So that's three hundred bowls of poke. That's a lot. Which is the only thing I'll be making with my tune. I'll tell you right now, dude. Lunch on the grounds. Everyone gets a poke bowl. Provided by Derek and Evan. Yeah. That's that the question is not how many people can fit on our boat without it sinking. The question is how many the, fish are we allowed yeah, to catch? Can the two of us go out there and shoot a bunch of cow tunas and then come back without sinking with all those fish on the boat? <laughs> we just tow them behind us for dude, like bait. It's like every fish you catch when you're out there is like adding another person to your boat. Like it's crazy. All right. Well, welcome to Faith by Hearing. Let's see. We have a we have a couple things uh scheduled here for this morning. First, we're going to our, our natural segment here of Evan's Mailbox. Cue the song. Evan's Mailbox. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Here's the mail. It never fails. Makes me want to wipe my Mailbox. Well, today the mailbox is uh, running over, so... Ooh, took well. me a few minutes digging through to pick what we wanted to go to. Here, we'll, we'll go with this one. Bailey from Griffith, Indiana writes, Absolutely nothing. Wow. She writes nothing. Wow. Silence. It's deafening. Listen, guys. We're not here today pretending... And I know there's a podcast, so you can't see my hand gestures, but I think the they're guys... Intense. They're intense. Yeah, they're very intense right now. The guys... Yeah. <laughs> the guys here will vouch that they are very pronounced. We're not out here trying to pretend that we are some huge podcast. All right? We see the numbers. We know how many people listen. It's a, it's a good number that we're happy with, but we're not trying to say that we're up there with, you know, whoever you might think of as a large podcast. Dare I say Joe Rogan. Right? We're, we're not pretending to be Joe. But here's what we do know. What we know... Is that enough of you listen to this show and have your own independent thoughts about what we say 
Yes. That you can interact with us. And we're inviting you into the conversation. That's actually the only thing that we ask. This is a free podcast. We're not like, oh, hey, go to our Patreon and get unlimited bonus episodes for just $5 a month. No shame to people who do that, but that's not us. Hey, Derek, I think um, I think Evan needs an intervention about the empty mailbox that, he, that he's been going to every day. Like a lonely little boy walking down to the mailbox every day. Listen, can someone please send Evan... Some mail. And how would they send him the mail? They would either A, go to Instagram. I love it. They would go to Instagram at Faith by Hearing Podcast and hit us up there. You go to Twitter at FBH underscore podcast. Find an inbox there as well as you can send us an email at Faith by Hearing Podcast at gmail.com. That's how they'd get it to you. That's how they get it to you. That's how they make your day. Yep. Yep. And all this stress that you feel about having an empty mailbox. It would be gone. Be gone. All right. So mailbox is empty today. That ends the segment That's of the Evan's of mailbox. Segment. We right did there. have a uh, we did have a podcast listener from the Midwest come see us in person, right? So yeah. shout out there. That that counts as mail. They came all the way here to tell us they liked the podcast. And they went right home immediately. Yeah. yeah, that's all. They didn't come for anything else. They got off the plane. They told us they loved the podcast. They flew back. You know who you are. You know who you are. And we appreciate it. She even got a free hat. She did. So. And a picture with Sal. And a picture with the one, the only Sal Bastios. That's true. All right, Derek. Here's your segment. What do you got? All right. I got a riddle for you guys. Riddle me this. Here we go. One night, four men sat down to play. They played all night till break of day. They played for cash and not for fun, with a separate score for every one. When it came time to square accounts, they all made quite fair amounts. No one lost and all gained. Now that you've heard, can you explain? Wow. Evan? When I heard this first riddle, Jillian was telling me telling me in the car, I said, first of all, is it a trick question? Yeah. Like, is it actually talking about people or is it like some analogy for animals or whatever? And it's like, no, it's actually four people sat down to play. They played all night till break of day. They played for cash and not for fun with a separate score for everyone. When it came time to square accounts, they all made quite fair amounts. No one lost and all gained. Now that you've heard, can you explain? Let me know if you have a question. So I should clarify. Evan. That's that, tough. That's tough. There's I think I'm one key word in here that threw me off that once I thought about it, it made it, it made everything else make sense. Cash. It's not cash. That's what I was keying in on. It's actually talking about cash. When I heard it, it was the word gold, but cash works too. I got nothing, Evan. No. What I'm going to the key word. Like which word in the riddle is the key? Yes. A separate score for every one. Score being the keyword. Well, folks, I just got the right answer. Derek gave me a hint, but I got it. If you want to know what it is, we're going to throw that sound bite at the end of this podcast. So you listen all the way through. Ooh, they got to listen to the end. They, they do. Because sometimes there's good information in there. Like an invitation... To send some mail would be at the end. Evan's Evan's very upset about not getting mail today. Do you think it's because people just, they want to give real mail? No, they want to send us a batch of cookies or something? Ooh. Well, listen. But, but, well, you could. There's they, another podcast I listen to who they threw out the idea of doing like a snack March Madness bracket. Okay. And the next week there was hundreds of boxes of every kind of snack imaginable in there. If, in if their someone mailbox. wanted to send us a snack. Mm. They could send that to our physical <laughs> church address here, which is 101000 Pine Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90813. Wow. First Baptist Church. Or you could address it to FBH Podcast. So I think uh, this is a great way to, to, to segue to, you know, finding the good in people. Because mm. I think... 
You're taking a risk giving someone your address. Yeah, I th- and and I think Evan is only looking at this, you know, and finding the bad in our listeners who did not send any mail in this week. But there is good to find. So we want to we want to talk a, l- a little bit this uh, on this podcast about how to find the good in someone. And so let me ask both of you guys: Do, do you feel like you naturally? find the good or do you feel like you you naturally find the bad in someone i feel like it depends on my mood so day to day yeah what about you evan i think i do but i have a short limit in doing so you think you find the good i think i find the good but not for as long like someone doesn't have to give me very many reasons to where there comes a point where i'm very quickly will assume the worst yeah i think most people in the world are probably wired uh the opposite right they don't find the good they're, they they kind of find the bad. You know, if we if we wanted to, we could probably illustrate that with uh, Google reviews, Yelp reviews of restaurants. Mm. Most of them are all, you know, negative, um, and not and not positive. We could probably illustrate it by looking at social media feeds. Um, the more hateful or negative in its tone or tenor, probably the the more replays and likes and and uh you know whatever repeats get uh they that 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 happen from those particular posts so learning to find the good in someone whenever my my kids were young they would get in a they would get in a fight with you know their brother or sister and um they'd say something mean they'd do something you know unkind we always would make them in front of the whole family say five nice things about the person they were fighting with. And, you know, we, we always tell them like, it, it can't, it can't be, uh, it can't be uh, like, like superficial things. Oh, I like your shoes. You know, it had to be five nice things about, you know, your brother or your sister. And I'm, I'm sure your parents probably did something similar with you in that. And, you know, every time we did that, it was always awkward, right? It was, it was awkward for the for the person, it was kind of ended like in this giggle fest normally, and but but it communicated the point, and I and I I hope right it helped it helped form a habit that oftentimes our response to someone who we're in close relationship with is to do exactly that right to find the negative to find the the bad this past experience what you said yesterday what you did last week, and so it comes out in the way that we treat somebody in, in, in the current moment. So I, I hope it was not just awkward for my kids. I hope it was, I hope it was habit forming. We kind of do the same thing, not in the same way now, but you guys have both been at my house when we have uh, birthday parties for someone. We, uh, before we do any birthday festivities, right? We have to go around the room. Everyone has to say one nice thing about that person. And you know what? Here's what's interesting about about experience, uh, like experiments like that. First, how awkward it is to say something nice about someone, like how awkward you feel when yeah. you're said, "Hey, here's this person. Say something nice about that person." And immediately, there's this like, my kids would call it like the the cringe factor, right? It, there's there's like this. It's uneasy. Feels weird. But the the other side too is how awkward the person who has something nice being said about them feels. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the world that we live in that we are far more accustomed to receiving criticism than we are praise and we're far more used to giving criticism than we are to giving praise. So just little thought experiment for us, right? If you if you had to if you had to say five nice things about, you know, for us in this room, it would be our wives, right? If you, had to, if you had to say five nice things about your husband, if you had to say five nice things about your coworker, your boss, if you had to, if you had to say five nice things about your kids or your parents, if you, had to, if, if you had to say five nice things about that person at your church, those pastors or teachers, those deacons or, or workers, if you had to say five nice things, most of us would have a hard time coming up with five things. And if we did come up with them, it'd be, it'd be a little awkward, right? We'd, we'd, it would feel 
cringe, right? Is how is how it would feel. And I think that that's partly because of the of the world that we live in. So what we want to talk about is how can how can we start the habit of finding the good in someone, right? So a couple of thoughts for you. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but I think it's a good place for us to start. And here's where we would here's where we begin. How to find the good in someone? Begin with the assumption that most people are well-meaning. Begin with the assumption that most people are well-meaning. And what I'm what I'm not talking about here is I'm not talking about sinful nature. So most people are not basically good according to the Bible. We're we're all born with a sin nature. We're born in Adam, and having been born in Adam, we're we're sinful people. So we're not saying most people are basically good. What we're saying is most people are basically well-meaning in their intention. So th- there are there are basically two ways to see the world. You can you can think of everyone in the world as out to get you, and occasionally there are people who are nice. Or you can see the world as everyone in the world is basically nice, well-meaning, and occasionally they fail you, and occasionally they disappoint you. And whichever way you choose to see the world, right? so if you if you choose to see the world in the latter way, that that everyone in the world is basically nice, they're well-meaning, but occasionally the thing they're doing, the thing they're saying is hurtful or it, it, it um, offends you in some kind of a way, then you can deal with it, right? You Whatever is being said, you can, hey, we can take that issue for what it is, take those words for what they are, take this moment, deal with it, address it, and then we move on. But if you see the world in the the former way, which is everyone's basically mean, you know, everyone's basically out to get you, and every now and then that person is nice to you, well, then you become a very defensive person as you navigate your relationships. And everything means something, even the nice things, right? Everything means something. Um, and, and you become very skeptical, right? And you you have this skepticism, you're always reading into things, so you never really have a confidence about your position with someone. You you become very insecure very quickly, and you really stifle relationships because there's no good ground for that relationship to be able to settle and, and take root and take hold in because you're always wondering about where your position with that with that person may be. So my, my mom used to have a saying as a kid, the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. And it took me a lot of years in life to get to the place where I, I got to really understand that, that the people who know you, who are close to you, who love you, who you know them, right? They've seen the behind the scenes of your life. Those people love you for who you are and sometimes even in spite of who you are. And those are the people that we ought to say, hey, they matter to us, right? Their words matter, their their attention, their relationship experiences that I'm having with them, that matters um, because they're, they're accepting of you in that way. And a lot of times what happens in relationship is we get twisted from the very beginning by assuming that this person is out to get me. And I, I'm just telling you, your, your teacher, your pastor... Um, that that boss, those coworkers, your neighbor, it, it, none of them are perfect, but probably most of them are well-meaning. However, poorly executed, the uh, the idea or the or the the conversation or uh, you know how how bad they may have handled that particular moment. If we want to learn to see the good in somebody, we have to. Begin with the right assumption that most people are well-meaning. I think you can do that just by being a little empathetic and realizing, like you said, most people are well-meaning most of the time, but also all of us are sinners and all of us are very selfish and prideful most of the time. And so whenever someone is acting selfishly and that that's harmful or hurtful or problematic, it's not too far of a stretch to remember times that you also were that way and being empathetic and realizing, Hey, you're not perfect either makes it a little easier to 
instead of acting emotionally or reactively or in revenge to think a little more rationally and try to find solutions rather than acting out in your own self-interest this time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think a good litmus test for this is people who assume the worst about others are often the people who are the most hypersensitive to how they're perceived by others. Right. Like if you find yourself always wondering how someone took what you said or where you stand with this person or they didn't say this to me today or that they didn't relate to me in this way today. And they usually do. So something must be up. If you're hypersensitive to how you're perceived and what your standing is in everyone else's mind, if you assume they're thinking that way all the time, it's probably a good indicator that you think that way more than you should. Yeah, that's it, Jesus says, right out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So oftentimes what we are saying about others or even thinking about others is indicative of our own heart and maybe even how we think about ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a there's a second thought here about learning to see the good in others. And so it begins with assuming most people are, are well-meaning, but second, it does require that we learn to see the good character qualities in people. Um and we, and we have to be committed to that. We have to be committed to look for patience and self-control and humility and kindness, selfless acts, encouraging words, respect, love, right? And you could go down a whole long list of, of, of character qualities. But, but learning to, and, and being committed rather, to look for the good character qualities, not just, not just finding the bad ones. And a lot of times in in relationships you you have access to the behind the scenes of someone else's life. And so you can you can do one of two things. You can either take the behind the scenes access that you have and you can use it against someone or you can take that behind the scene access and you can allow it to provide um, evidence for you to, to the good that's in that person. So it's it's learning to see, hey, I know that in this moment, that person may have made this particular decision, but let's think about why that decision was made or let's think about where that concern or that frustration or you know that, that moment of poor decision-making was coming from. And learning to find the good character qualities in someone else, those things that add value not just to them, but also those things that add add value to you. I feel like that's a little bit of what we tried to do in the last episode of this podcast. We tried to take some things from our past church experiences and say, hey, it's really easy to magnify the negative. What's 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 more difficult is to magnify the positive. And if we want to be the kind of people who look for the good in others, we, we have to go against our own sinful nature here and want to highlight the poor in somebody else, which oftentimes is a justification of our own behavior and our own attitude. So I'm responding, you know, angrily toward this person because this person has the character quality of of being angry toward me. And it's just this, I'm using your character qualities as a justification for why I get to make these poor decisions too. So learning to see the good in someone requires and be requires being committed to finding the good character qualities in someone else. It's just like any bad habit relationally, right? That I would assume the bad and act out with poor decision, which in turn causes the other person to do the same to me, where someone has to forget about vindication and forget about some kind of perceived justice that you would write things and you would make things equal at some point it's the oldest cliche in relationships right someone has to be the bigger person mm-hmm. like you have to have the spiritual discipline to see the best first and a lot of times people will follow suit in that and people will extend that kindness to you but someone in the in one side of a relationship has to do that first yeah so paul writes to the church at corinth you know I, I praise God that his his grace is evidenced in you, right? Which if you know anything about the church at Corinth, 
nothing good is happening there, <laughs> right? So Paul's like, you know, what good thing can I say about the church at Corinth? Oh, oh, here's something good I can say. God's grace is is evident on 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 you know in your congregation, which I think is is doing what we're talking about here. I think it I think it's Paul forcing himself in this in this situation by by the help of the Spirit, of course, to see the good in a situation so that he can have a way of providing a word. So this isn't saying that we should overlook negative character qualities or destructive or abusive character qualities in people. Those things should be handled and should be dealt with and they should be addressed. And we've talked in other episodes about how to deal with difficult people and how to, how to have hard conversations. But, but this is a conversation about learning to see the good in somebody. And just like, yeah, there are times where hard conversations are required it's also necessary to remember that sometimes we're just our sinful nature is wired and prone to see the negative in someone but there is good. You know, there is love, there is faithfulness, there is, you know, a committedness. There there is um, you know, an, an unwillingness to be whatever, moved by the culture or always in flux. So there are good qualities and characteristics that ought to be pointed out. And if we're going to maintain long-term relationship, we we have to learn to see the good in somebody else. So there's a there's a third thing here helping us learn to see the good in somebody, and that is this: don't take everything personal. Don't take everything personal. And we we all take things personally for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we take things personally because we are insecure. Sometimes we take it personal because we've misinterpreted what what someone else has said it it's it's relatively easy to to make a mistake in thinking about what another person has said or what another person has done so if if you find yourself taking things personal really the question should be turned to you why why are you taking it so personal whatever was said whatever was done why are you taking it so personal and oftentimes there's a variety of reasons for that one could be because you're finding your identity in what other people think about you instead of finding your identity in what God says about you. So where where are we laying our confidence? Where are we laying our identity? And the need and the craving for the approval of others is a strong desire that most people have. So are you taking it personal because you've wrapped your identity up in what other people say about you? And if you have, then you should lay that down, die to self, die to the need of approval, and live for the approval of God. And believe what the Bible says God says about you. And and allow that to be more motivating in your life than what other people say or than what other people think. Second, you could you might be taking it personal because it's it's easier to get angry at that person who said something about you or who treated you in a particular way. It's easier to get upset at them than it is to get upset at yourself for a decision you made. And some people have a hard time of being decisive, of being assertive, of being firm and resolute in what they want to do, where they want to go, things they want to participate in. And so what happens is they end up getting talked into things talked into going places, talked into participating in things that they they don't really want to do. And then they're not assertive or confident in who they are. And so they go with the flow because they want everybody to approve them. They, they, they want to please everybody. And then they end up getting upset with everyone else. But it's in fact their, their own choice to do or not do something. And so a lot of times we take things personal because we lack the assertiveness and the confidence to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And a lot of times we lack that because we don't have the our identity in the right place. Or we are living for somebody's particular approval of us. Or even third here, maybe a reason why we take it personal is because there's some kind of unrealistic expectation that we're trying to meet or that we're putting on someone or that perhaps someone's putting on us. And if that's the case, then what we need is we need to offer clarity. 
And, and we need a, a way that we get clarity is by developing a system for how we will handle, address, or answer things. Most people don't have a system developed for the way that they will choose to do something or not choose to do something. They just, if in the moment they feel like doing it, then they'll do it. If in the moment it seems like the right thing to do, then they'll do it. And I'm not even necessarily talking about sinful things here. I'm just talking about a way in which we process decisions we make. Most people just make decision in the moment. Mature people have a system that they've developed for how a decision is made. So here's this external pressure. If my identity is wrapped up in the wrong thing, here's this person who has this pressure. They're trying to convince me to do something. I don't really want to do it. But I haven't developed a system in saying, here's how I decide whether I will or won't do that particular thing. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's step three. And if all of these steps are met, then I'll do, you know, whatever, step four. But if all these systems aren't met, then I'm, then I'm not going to do it. And oftentimes in our relationships, because we haven't taken time to develop the right kind of system to determine what it is we want to participate in, what it is we don't want to participate in, we end up being subject to this, this pressure around us. We take things super personal. We lack confidence and resolve and just saying, yes, I will do it or no, I won't do it. And then we end up getting upset with other people around us and we assume we assume the worst in or about that person. So re- regardless of what other people say, we are only responsible for how we react or respond. Like that's, if, if I could maybe summarize how not to take something personal, regardless of what that person is saying, regardless of the pressure that person is putting on you, you and I are responsible for only our own reactions, our own response, and, and our own choices in that particular moment. Which is one of the hardest things for human beings of all ages to grasp. Like, you deal with kids in a school setting or in a church setting, and almost every time that a child is in trouble for something involving another kid, isn't that always their first response? Well, first they, and fill in the blank. Yeah. And at the teenage level, that's true. And at the young adult level, and people carry that all the way into adulthood, where they just can't seem to see that they own their actions regardless of anyone else's. Like everyone's actions, everyone's justification for their actions always seems to be the actions of others that came right before what they did. Yeah. And it's like you said, while those things are factors, only we can own our actions. Right. And only we will answer for our actions. Yeah. And I think what's important in owning our actions is learning to develop a system that dictates the decisions or the actions that we'll make. And if our identity is wrapped up in what other people say, what other people do, then what we find ourselves very easily, what we find happening very easily in our lives is just being pulled down the current of what everybody else thinks we ought to be doing. And I'm not talking necessarily about sinful things, but things that we don't really want to do. Right. But we've not taken time to say, here's how we're going to make decisions in our family. Here's how we're going to prioritize what we do, where we go, how we do it, when we do it. Here's the system of that we've, they just go down the, fl- down the current of what everybody else says or does or thinks, which isn't, which isn't healthy. It only leads us to assume the worst in somebody else instead of allowing us to be able to think the good about that person or assume the best in that person. It leads us to a place that causes us to think the worst. Okay, so so number four here. How do we learn to see the good in someone? We need we need to learn to notice the strengths. So everyone has strengths, right? Everyone has things that they are good at. And what's true is those strengths can be used selfishly. But what's also true is those strengths about you as a person or that person as an individual, that those strengths are a gift from God. And what's 
what helps in learning to see the good in somebody else is when you know what that person's strength is and then allowing them the space to be able to use their strength. So if it's organization, if it's planning, if it's music, if it's whatever, parenting, teaching, hospitality, whatever it might be, you want to give them as much opportunity to be able to use their strength that you can. And when you give that person that space to use their strength, they're they're satisfied because they're succeeding in an area that they're very interested in. They they probably know they're pretty good at. But but you're also um you know, you also find the good in that person because you see that person excelling. And you know, learning to to look at somebody and be able to say that's a strength they have, that's a weakness they have. The weaknesses are always easier to find. The strengths are always more difficult to highlight, but we have to make sure that we're taking time to notice somebody else's strengths. Some people in your family are more um, just naturally strong at whatever, planning the the family vacation calendar. We're going here, we're going there, we're going here, and everybody's got to be on time. And if you don't lean into someone's strengths, then what you're going to find yourself doing is you're going to find yourself in competition with them about whatever particular strength they have because you don't want to do it. So we want to say, hey, we have family vacation coming up. We want you to be in charge of the calendar. We're thinking about doing these things on these days. You want to organize that for us? And now you're creating space. It's it's a contained space, but you're creating a space for that person to be able to use their strength for which they're going to be benefited they're going to be satisfied. They're happy to be using the strength they have, but you're also going to be benefited because there's not this arm wrestle in the middle of family vacation of where we want to go or what we want to do. It's also important not to become jealous of someone other, someone else's strengths and that be a point of conflict or, That's or great someone else's strength to be somehow oppositional to your strength and to, to cause that to be an issue. Because I, I could see that definitely happening in my own life and in you know my personal observations, how two good things you put together somehow it doesn't turn out better. Right. And what's important on that point, because that's a great point, is important to create and provide clarity to say, hey, on this family vacation, like I just use va- family vacation as the example, family vacation, we want you to organize this, 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 right? And now we have clear lines, which which very... It's not always that easily uh, clarified, but it could be clarified, right? That this was going to be his strength. This is going to be his strength. We all have pretty wide and um, I think uh, strong personalities in our families, each of us. And so learning like to navigate that is a, it's definitely a learning curve, but it can happen when we recognize, hey, that, that that is their strength and let's give them room in order to grow in that particular area, exercise their strength, not just for their own good, but also for the good of the family who's on vacation, if that's the example. Another way to learn how to see the good in someone, which I think is our, our fifth way here, is pay attention to what their interests are. Notice their interest. What what excites them? What um, what do they get enthusiastic about talking about? What do they um, what do they enjoy as a hobby or as a preference? Right? Could be could be anything. Could be like for the two of you, boating and fishing, right? Spear fishing. It could be baseball. It could be sports. It could be um, whatever mountain climbing. It, whatever it might be, we're as individuals. We have hobbies. We have interests. And if we want to learn to see the good in somebody else, well, then we, we have to know what excites them. What, what is it that moves them? I, I had a, a friend of mine in high school who I would get so irritated because th- this guy always wanted to drink Diet Pepsi. We were maybe juniors, sophomores in high school, and he was drinking Diet Pepsi. And it really was like borderline obsession. If... If we didn't have Diet Pepsi at the youth activity, this guy was complaining to the youth pastor about it. So I asked him once, 
what is up with you and Diet Pepsi? And he told me that his grandfather, who had passed away a few years earlier, always drank Diet Pepsi. And he just absolutely loved his grandfather. His grandfather was a huge um, influence in his life, not just physically, but but spiritually. And he had given to this this uh, young man his entire library of books. And he, just, he was a very influential person in his life. And for him, whenever he drank a Diet Pepsi, even as a sophomore, junior in high school, it just reminded him of his grandfather. And he wanted to be like his grandfather. And as soon as I learned that, all of a sudden, every time that kid drank a Diet Pepsi, it just, it changed for me. What used to irritate me, he'd go and complain to the youth pastor, why don't we have Diet Pepsis? And I would get so mad at him for complaining. And now, like once I knew, hey, he he likes Diet Pepsi, he's interested in Diet Pepsi because it means something to him. He's, it, it you know, it, it has a place in his life. It completely turned. What irritated me now became almost admirable to me, you know? I find myself like, hey, I want a Diet Pepsi next time too, you know? <laughs> But when you take the time to figure out that person's interest, you know, the, the, those things that kind of make them tick, what, what excites them, it helps us learn to see the good in that other person. So finding what somebody else enjoys not only helps you understand them, but it also has a way of bringing you enjoyment. And it has a way of taking what we so naturally assume as something like terrible or bad, and it helps us to learn to see the good. This may be a little bit dark, but they oh say boy. if you're ever kidnapped, to talk about yourself as much as possible because that endears the kidnapper to you and it causes them to see you as a human being. And although we're not talking about us being kidnappers, whenever we do see other people in they talk about their yeah. pets, their friends, their kids, their jobs. And we know that we, we can empathize with many of those emotions and that humanizes them much more in our eyes and causes us to, again, see them like we see ourselves yeah. and, and realize they're, they may be flawed, but so are we. And they have their good qualities and they have their interests and they have those things as well. You know, I think there's application there for the kidnapper and the kidnappy. <laughs> 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 Evan does drink Diet Pepsi. I drink I'll Diet try, Coke. I'll I try to remember Diet that Coke. next time I get kidnapped. And it's funny you say that because the reason I drink Diet Coke is because Jim Brown liked Diet Coke. Really? Yep. And when I was a kid, he always had it at his house. So if you were there, it was either water or Diet Coke, and no one likes water. So I drank Diet Coke at his house, which is the reason I still like it today. Just so everyone knows, I, it wasn't Evan that I was secretly <laughs> referencing that. But I'm glad that, that I'm glad this has come out. I, I think the the point we're making, right, is the tendency in all of us is to somehow treat people in a way that's they're not made in the image of God. And that person is made in the image of God. And our world is so easy at just labeling and othering and distancing ourselves from people. Oh, those people are compromisers, those people are, you know reprobate those people are pagan those people are in it that's the whole approach and we we want to almost dehumanize them in that way but learning to see the good in somebody else requires us going hey maybe they have an interest maybe they have something that they enjoy some hobby that they do that helps us just remember that that's a person made in the image of god who has feelings, emotions, family, friends, wife, husband, kids, just like we have. And if we can remember, take time in finding out what it is that person enjoys and whatever interest that they might have, it helps us go a long way in seeing the good in somebody else. And here's the last one. And we told you, not an exhaustive list, but I think I think a lot for myself to work on and and, and hopefully for you as well. But here's the last one. Pray for spiritual amnesia. Pray for spiritual amnesia. Now, there, there's a kind of spiritual amnesia that's wrong, okay? There's a kind of spiritual amnesia it forgets God, it forgets the blessings of God, it forgets the Word of God, forgets the promises of God. That kind of spiritual amnesia that Israel had, that when things got good, they forgot the Lord. Now, that's not. we're not talking about that. What we are talking about is we're talking about a healthy spiritual amnesia 
which Paul says, there are some things in our past that we should forget. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, we press toward the mark. So for us as Christians, there are some things in the past that we need to ask God to give us spiritual amnesia about. And we need to stop bringing it up again and again and again. And sometimes what prevents good, healthy relationship is we just keep remembering the bad. We remember what that person said to us. And here's what we do. We repeat it and we repeat it and we repeat it and we repeat it. And we have repeated it so often that it is now embedded in our brain. It is it is a route in our brain that every time someone mentions that person's name, that path comes up. Here comes so-and-so's name. They did this to me. Here comes so-and-so's name. They did that to me. They did that to me. And we've, because we've just put it on repeat. And what we need to do in order to see the good in someone is we need to ask the Lord to give us spiritual amnesia. Not the bad kind of spiritual amnesia that forgets God, but the right kind of spiritual amnesia that forgets the past, that that learns how to focus on things that are good and righteous and holy and just and virtuous, that learns to forget um, hurts and wrongs missed opportunities and forgotten birthdays and all of those things. We're not simply repeating the past. We're asking God to give us spiritual amnesia in order in order to forget it. You and I will either suffer from spiritual amnesia, forget God, or we can prosper from spiritual amnesia. We can learn to forget those things that we ought to, that ought to be forgotten. Which, by the way, the Lord forgets some things in our past. That's what the psalmist teaches us. That he, because of the shed blood of his son on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that he for, he can forget the iniquities of our past because they've been washed away by his blood. And in being like Christ, we ought to be this way. So pray. How do I see the good in somebody? Pray for spiritual amnesia. Ask God to help you to forget the things that ought to be forgotten, which prevent healthy relationship moving forward. I think in all of this, it's important to remember that when we choose to see the worst in someone, whether consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, no, you can't, not, a, not unconscious, whether consciously or subconsciously, that number one, they don't see themselves that way. Number two, Christ doesn't see them that way. In fact, it's just you who has this negative perception. And we would never want to be on the other end of that. We don't enjoy when we're on the other end of that. Absolutely. It's, I feel like this is kind of a theme when we talk about these attributes in the podcast. I find myself saying this a lot, but it rings true. Is that we love to be on the receiving end of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so many times we are, and we never think about how we could extend that same grace to someone else. Right. And if someone didn't make that conscious choice, then we could never receive a perception. We, we could never receive someone choosing to see the good in us if they didn't do the difficult thing. So it leaves us with their responsibility to turn around. And the next time we're given the opportunity to choose to ignore the bad, to choose to see the good. Absolutely. I will say that no one is better at this that I know than, than pastor. So as he teaches this, he lives this. I, and Derek could say the same thing. A lot of times I find myself going in his office, not necessarily upset at someone, but maybe confused about the way a situation is playing out. No, and, I would say upset. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in every situation where his, me and his wife have joked about it before, where there's hardly any good to see. And of course, he's going to find it. If there's one possible route that someone could be coming at this in a positive way, as unlikely as it may be, you can always count on pastor to say, well, hey, maybe they just are seeing it this way. So he lives it. I enjoy to hear, you know, some of his reasoning and the way he goes about it from the notes today. But um, he's a great guy to learn it from. Well, it's a, it takes a lot of practice. It's definitely not my natural instinct, that's for sure. 
But we're glad that you uh, we're glad that you listened today, and we hope that this episode was a blessing and an encouragement to you. And we hope that it adds to conversation in your life, your family, your church, at your work, your office, wherever you're listening from. Hey, it's much better to learn to see the world, look for the good uh, in the world, understanding this is a sinful, broken world that we live in, and we all need God's grace. It's only by the grace of God that any of us are who we are. And we have to remember that God's grace is still at work in us, and it's still at work in those other people. And and if God's patient with them, we can be patient with them. And so there's the there's the reminder for you. I think we have a few instructions on the way out, how people can tune in, send Evan some mailbox so he can... Uh, he cannot be so upset next episode. I, I don't. I don't like the. Uh, I don't like the angry. I don't like the angry Evan. I can only choose to see the good in our <laughs> listeners, as I have any good to see. And right now, I don't. If I don't know anything about you, if I've never heard from you, there's no good for me to see. I like it. So, let us know this week how uh, the podcast was a help. Maybe a situation that it brought to your mind. We'd love to let others know about it so they could benefit from it in any of those avenues. Instagram our Twitter account, or the email address that was given earlier in the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We'll leave you with a quote today. This is uh, unknown who said it, but it's train your heart and your mind to see the good in everyone. In this, we will always have something to be grateful for. I like it. One night, four men sat down to play. They played all night till break of day. They played for cash and not for fun with a separate score for everyone. <gasps> when it came time to square accounts, got it. They all made quite fair amounts. Got it. None lost and all gained. Now that you've heard, can you explain? They're in a band. Yep, it's a band that plays wow. music. Wow. Yeah. So score, yeah. Score is another word wow. for music. That's good. Was nowhere close in my mind just so you know. <laughs> Stumped, officially stumped. That's a good one. 